0: Take your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and the first six verses here this morning. One more time, just testing here. Testing one, two. Testing, all right. Life is filled with testing. The Christian life is really an upside-down life compared to the rest of the world. Our priorities are supposed to be opposite. To use the words of Jesus here in Matthew, Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Who does that? Who who gives up sacrifices the the natural human goals of their life for the goals of Jesus Christ? What does the verse say? Those who follow, those who are disciples of Jesus. And such we are if we have put our faith in him, but what's the promise? The promise is that in losing our life for Christ, we actually find it. So while it might seem like we're giving up the goals we have in life, we actually find that goal, that meaning, that significance in life. Really, to uh, think it through, the issue is that. We have rescued our life from meaninglessness. What Jesus said there is really what Solomon is saying in the book of Ecclesiastes. Because he's told us repeatedly everything is meaningless. You go to the end of accumulating or, or trying to be a certain kind of a person, and it always ends up empty. And now, in the last couple chapters of Ecclesiastes, he's showing us a different way. Remember your Creator, fear God. And today in our study, live generously. Because living generously honors God, and God honors those who live generously. First two verses. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. I believe he's saying that generous living may seem unreasonable, but eventually it brings this harvest of blessings. Uh, the last phrase that starts at the end of verse one, where it says, uh, You will find it again. Remember, we just read that's what Jesus said. You lose your life, you find it cast your bread upon the water, and you find it. In fact, the Greek word that Jesus used in Matthew is actually a translation of that Hebrew word that Solomon used. You find, you rescue, you preserve the actual value that you were seeking, you thought you were seeking in something else in life, but you preserve your life as you lose it for Christ. So what does it mean to cast your bread on the waters? It's puzzled Bible readers for many centuries and frankly, it just sounds like soggy bread, right? Who cast their bread upon the waters? Some of you are using a Bible translation that right now says, ship your grain across the sea. Anybody have that? Anybody look? Yeah. Uh, some translations are so puzzled by this that they have uh, thought perhaps it's talking about something else. And so the tension is uh, between really two very different ways of, of seeing and understanding the first six verses of Ecclesiastes 11. Neither of the views are heresy, but they are very different. The basic two views are, is this talking about how we should do business, or is this talking about generosity? Um, the term that he uses, first of all, for bread is the most common word for bread in the Old Testament. So it's a bit of a stretch, I think, to call it grain. But if, it's, if you take the business interpretation, that would be what it would sound like. So uh, let's just kind of follow that along a little bit. If it were about business, it would be saying, you know, um, you invest and you ship your grain and you ex- Expecting a, a return eventually, an exchange of goods. And then verse 2 would be saying to diversify your investments, right? Give portions here and there. And then really verses four, four through six, 3 through 6 would be saying you have to risk something to gain something. And so in that case, Solomon would be talking about bold entrepreneurship. But is Solomon teaching about business or is he teaching about generosity? Uh, I personally kind of went down both roads of thinking the last couple of weeks, looking at this, because there are some some uh, you could say good good Bible uh, students on both sides, but I really am convinced he is talking about generosity. And here's three quick reasons. One I already gave you, and that is that this this it's a stretch to translate the terms into business terms about grain and shipping instead of bread and casting. Uh, The second reason is that Solomon in the book of Proverbs consistently has this heart for generosity and what God does with our generosity. We'll look at a few of those passages today. And the third, which is maybe to me the most important, is that in in the continuing discussion or progress of the book of Ecclesiastes, the business interpretation to me just doesn't fit. Because Solomon has been talking about consistently the meaninglessness of earthly things, and you know what top on his list has been has been accumulating wealth. So would he really, in this final section where he's trying to tell us what really is meaningful, is he really going to tell us how to be a, a, a very profitable business person? It doesn't seem to fit where he's going. So just a little bit of that background with where, where I'm going. And, and, and this understanding of the generosity is really kind of the oldest and most common understanding. So, what does it mean to cast your bread on the waters? If it seems illogical, unreasonable to throw bread on water, that may be exactly the point. Because why would you do that? Why would you just just throw bread out there? It seems to be a waste. But it would make perfect sense in God's sovereign plan of what he does when we live generously. In fact, if you glance at the last phrase of verse 5, we will come to this, this statement. So you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. When we live generously, God does some, some strange math and he does something miraculous with what seems to be unreasonable for us. It's what he sees, it's what he does. There's, a, there's an old Turkish proverb, uh, ancient one actually, that probably reflects this verse. It goes like this, Do good, cast thy bread upon the water. If the fish know it not, yet the Creator knows. So if, you, if, if casting bread on the water just seems like you're feeding fish, God sees that. After many days, you will find it, it says, generosity is not just a short-term deal. If you're helping your your friend who needs money to to fix their transmission, there's a short-term outcome. That accomplished something. But basically, living generously, giving of your time and money, is something that isn't always seen right away. After many days, you begin to see the impact of living generously. The encouragement that you gave to someone through something you did for them. The impact of money you gave, it's always, it's often something way down the road and and God in his eternal plan sees how he is using our generous living. Solomon says, you will find it again. So there is something personal about this. There's something that actually accrues to you where you personally are able to experience a blessing that God is doing through generosity. Generosity another old Arab proverb in this case, uh, says this, Do good, cast thy bread upon the water, and thou shalt be repaid someday. There is this sense of, 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 of return. The appropriate question is to say, is this teaching what is sometimes now known as prosperity theology or the prosperity gospel? Uh, this is the, the many Teachers around the world, really, who are teaching basically that there is an, a transactional thing—that the way you get what you want in life, wealth, is by giving—and it's usually giving to that preacher or ministry or TV show or something like that. Um, it's not only an American thing; in fact, it's even more prevalent around the world in impoverished areas, and it has this attraction because people are so desperate to to have more that they 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 fall for this and saying this maybe somehow this way i can get what i want in life and it further impoverishes people that are not gaining anything is this pros- is this teaching prosperity th- uh, theology if 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 casting bread on the water is somehow if casting bread on the water is somehow meant to bring back something uh, to us. I don't think so. Here's the, ba- here's the basic difference. The basic difference is that is the motive. Prosperity theology is essentially selfish. If, 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 I give, if I give this, then I will get this. If I give, I give to get. Here's the difference between that and biblical giving. Biblical giving is. I am giving because of what I've been given, not because of what I can get. The motive is absolutely opposite. Um, If you are drawn to a generous life, God's working in your heart in some way, time, money, resources, uh, skills, um, prayer, whatever area of giving God might speak to you today... Uh, you really need to understand a very key New Testament passage, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Uh, That one happens to be about financial giving in particular. The context in the New Testament uh, church age was that uh, that Paul was raising funds for the impoverished uh, church in Jerusalem that was going through a famine. And interestingly, one of the churches that he went around to as he planted churches was the church in Corinth, which was almost equally impoverished. It's a fascinating uh, passage to study. I just want to give you some samples of it because I really think we see a process here that would describe what we often call grace-giving. In other words, it's, it's giving in response to God's grace. And so in these a couple of, of passages I want to show you, uh, it basically walks us through this. What's the motive of our giving? What's the response of God? And then what's the harvest? So it's really looking first at what is our heart, that's most important, and then what does that stimulate in God's heart, and then what's the outcome, what what results, what's the harvest of of God working in response to our generosity. So 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 and 9, first of all, address the motive. I'm not commanding you, Paul says to the uh, church in Corinth, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, I mean, he was in heaven, right? Yet for your sake, he became poor, that's the cross, so that you through his poverty, the cross might become rich. That's our eternal salvation that he provided. So he says, the reason you would give, the motive in your heart is not because I, I obligated you, I commanded you, but rather you are responding to that which God has given to you, so this then is the this then is the flavor of your giving. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So the issue clearly is not about uh, guilting people, pressuring people into giving. In fact, you need to need to back away if that's what you're feeling, because it is not about what somebody else thinks we should do. It is rather us in response to what God has given to us as we're experiencing His grace. That's really the motive for everything in the Christian life is how, can, how is His grace impacting the way we, we love or treat others or in this case live generously. So that's God, our motive. And then what goes on in the heart of God that, that when He sees that kind of heart Second Corinthians nine eight And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So there's a, there's a, there's a plethora of ways in which God would want to bless you, but one would be so that you could abound in what? Good, every good work. One way would be that he would, he would supply your needs, not so you can necessarily have more, but so that you can actually give more. He would would begin to work in your heart so that you would be able to minister to others because the heart of a person who has been impacted by grace is not about self, but rather, how can I minister? How can I serve? We crave something entirely different when God has transformed our heart by, by grace. So... There's our motive of seeing His grace, what we have been given. There's God's heart of wanting then to... God is is seeking to then stimulate us to be able to do whatever He calls us to do. And that launches, if you will, a whole harvest that comes from that. 2 Corinthians 9, the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Do you see how this kind of piles up? And God begins to work so that he supplies needs. He produces thanks and praise. He stimulates prayer and prayer for one another. So there's this relational connection that takes place as well he's doing all these things so yes he's 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 meeting uh the salaries he's 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 paying utility bills it's building buildings it's all these tangible things or providing they were sending money to buy grain in in impoverished jerusalem so it's doing all these things but it's doing so much more because it's creating this stimulating of, of, of spiritual life what solomon said is what jesus said is what paul said so solomon going back now to proverbs and where his heart was as he wrote honor the lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your crops then your barns will be filled to overflowing. you might want to just turn this one off entirely if that's what it takes uh, your your barns will be filled to overflowing so He's saying, God has a way of taking what you honor Him, and it says, with your first fruits. The first fruits is the first thing that a farmer would harvest. Bring that in before you even know whether the rest of the harvest will be flooded or or hailed out. And that act of faith is something that God honors, and He says, He'll take care of you. Genesis, or rather Proverbs eleven twenty five: 25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Or Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. And so there's this mix of, of spiritual and, 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 and financial blessings that God says, I want to enable you to experience the ministry to others. It's like we become participants with God. As as I have opportunity in a passage like this to share with our church family, please understand that for the most part I have a sense of affirmation and not even exhortation. Because Open Door has been a generous church for decades. I'd like to just kind of, as a as a family discussion, share a couple of blessings uh, just in these recent years, just to kind of review some of the things that God has done through. Uh, the generosity that that uh, you all have shown. Um, of course, a uh, recent thing, of course, a kind of a biggie is that God in the last four or five years has provided the, uh, the discipleship center. Uh, these years from vision to completion uh, were because of God working in your heart, these very things. Uh, it's a building that at this point, frankly, we could not imagine being without. It was only completed a matter of really months before COVID hit. And so there's a big part of me that was like disappointed, like, we have this beautiful building, we can't hardly use it. But then what began to happen, we began to realize that through this season, we have been able to restart ministries in larger spaces that would not have been possible unless God had provided that building for us. So God will use something often differently than we even had had planned. That's the first one. The second one is that because God has completely supplied everything that that is is complete and paid for. That's why, as we announced this morning and and recently, we're able to to continue with uh, doing the next generation, next gen project in the the lower level because we can move on to that. And uh, that is a huge blessing. Here's the third one. During this past 12 months, the general fund, the regular giving, has not decreased. In fact, it has increased. And in fact, because it has increased, at the same time, expenses decreased because of some of the the limited or less programs we've had. God has abundantly supplied for us. And some of you who were at the congregational meeting last month know this. But we've been able to, uh, at this, in this season of all times, in one sense, we've been able to uh, substantially increase our support for some of our sent missionaries who were underfunded. In addition, we've been able to add two other uh, local uh, ministries or local people that attend here uh, to our missions budget. Uh, one is Dale and Holly DeMaster, who are uh, working part of each year with Word of Life in the Philippines. And another is uh, Jan Kamaris, who works, attends here also with Frank. And uh, she works with Child Evangelism Fellowship. That's the group that helped us start our uh, ministry in the local uh, grade school here, uh, Bible Club. And uh, it's helping to support her ministry. If the outside world knew, I guess, what what perhaps you give, they might say, that doesn't make any sense financially. You, you need that. You need to use it for whatever someone might perceive that you need it for. It's crazy, like casting your bread on the water. And through these years, I've actually never had somebody tell me any sense of regret for what they've given. But I have heard a continuous line of testimonies of how God has blessed when they have given uh, time or other uh, or financial resources. And it really is broader than this, though uh, the passage in 2 Corinthians is financial. Throughout the history of Open Door, obviously the generosity that's been needed is, is far more than, than paying uh, the, the ministry bills, uh, but countless volunteer hours to do everything that God does through the church. Um, this fall, as we seek to hopefully restart Sunday school and, and, and the full uh, gamut of ministries, we're going to be needing that precious commodity in, in generosity as well. And, and, and a great big thanks to those who have really given extra time to accomplish the ministries, uh, this online ministry and other ministries that have restarted during this season. So, Generous Living can seem unreasonable, like throwing bread on the water. But then let's begin to see what God does with it. Verse 2, give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. It may seem unreasonable, but it's also urgent, because you don't know the future. You don't know what's going to happen, so, so give now. It's what it's saying. The portions uh, do refer to like parts or pieces of a pie, And probably the illustration is a business illustration. Diversify. Diversify your giving. Uh, Wise financial advisors or those who manage mutual funds will know that you need to diversify your funds so that uh, if if some business fails, uh, you haven't lost all your investments. If you invested years ago in Enron only or Kodak, Remember Kodak or Blockbuster? When's the last time you went to a Blockbuster store? Yeah, that that stock's no good. Um, you need to diversify your giving because you don't know what disaster might come. Not everything's going to have the same results. So give generously if you give. Serve generously in various ways. Give portions to seven or eight. So even you could think if, if you've mostly been a financial giver... Give some time. And if you've mostly been a doer giving time, don't neglect financial giving. If you, your giving has all been focused on, on on the local church, thank you, but diversify and, and give to a, to a missionary personally. Your family connecting with a missionary family brings a whole new element to what it means to give and experience that relationship. By the way, if you are interested in supporting individual missionaries... Of course, we would highly recommend those that the church already supports because they also need uh, a group of others who would support them as well. Uh, you can find that out through the office through the pastors, or frankly, just go to the website our church website, and there we have a list under missions and most of the missionaries have links to their uh, their organization and uh, means to give there i 'll uh, mention one other one Pastor Seth was mentioning to me this week the needs of, that, of the global ministry called Compassion International. Uh, that's the group that uh, has connected several million kids with sponsoring families. Uh, Priscilla and I support a little boy named Arvin in the Philippines. Uh, but I didn't realize how COVID has affected Compassion International. Most of their um, sponsors sign up at church services and Christian concerts. Guess what hasn't happened the last 12 months? No Christian concerts and far less uh, local church uh, meetings. Uh, We're going to be hosting again a Compassion Sunday in May, but anyone could go to Compassion.com, I believe it is, Compassion.com, and sign up anytime. Why should we give generously, this verse says? Because it's urgent. You don't know what disaster, evil, misfortune may come. I think he's perhaps reflecting chapter 9, the early verses, reminded us that good or bad, we're all going to die, and we don't know how soon it'll be. Verse 10 of chapter 9, you know, so so whatever your hand finds to do, uh, do it with all your might, because you can't do it in the grave. He's pretty frank, isn't he? About the brevity of life. So, so don't put off and say, well, when I have more time, that's when I'll give time. When I have more money, then I'll give time. More money. Uh, maybe a lot of you, or some of you at least, remember uh, George uh Senior uh, when he was—he's been a part of the—he ch- was part of the church in in the, the early uh, chapters and passed away some years ago. But he had a little saying he would uh, mention to me, kind of frequently. He says, "It's do your giving while you're living, so you're knowing where it's going." <laughs> and. uh, I'm sure he lived by that himself. Don't put off. It's urgent. You don't know what's going to happen. Generous living can seem unreasonable, but it brings a harvest. Generous giving and living is urgent because we don't know the future. Verses 3, 4, 5, and 6 now describe that harvest or that impact. It has an impact because God is miraculously going to transform giving into Things that matter eternally. God is the one who does that. We'll follow uh, what that is. First of all, in verse 3, we find that we cannot plan how that's going to happen. We don't fully know how God's going to use uh, our generosity giving time or money. We don't know that. If the, but here's, here's what we know. If the clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. But whether a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where it falls, there it will lie using an obvious illustration about, uh, about the water cycle. When clouds are full of water, they have to drop it. God has, has set in motion as the creator the uh, design in which water evaporates, it condenses, and it precipitates. It's going to happen. And so Solomon is, is, is describing that metaphor, and you'll notice every verse has a metaphor in this passage, some kind of an illustration from uh, nature or natural life. He says, it's going to happen that if you cast your bet on the water, you will find it. There will be an impact. However, the second half is saying, but you don't know what it's going to be. If a tree falls, you don't know if it's going to go north or south. Now, the logger does. But this is describing, I'm sure, the, the natural falling of, of trees in the forest. This storm felt made this one fall that way, and this storm made that one fall, fall that way. But God is the rainmaker. And God is the tree faller. <laughs> God's the one who controls these things. You don't know. But if you keep loving your neighbor, it'll have an impact somehow. And if you, if you keep sharing the gospel, it's going to land somewhere sometime. You don't know when or who. If you keep supporting missionaries, those missionaries will have impact around the world in different places. Because God is the rainmaker. Are you okay? Not knowing what your bread will do. Verse five, verse four, rather. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. If we wait until we know exactly how our generosity will quote pay off or accomplish, we won't even get started. And so he uses the illustration of a farmer. What if a farmer thought that way and thought, you know, it's windy. You know, wind blows away seed, and in fact, that's how it worked more in that day. You weren't always put drilling it into the into the soil, and so you cast your your. It could, if it's windy, there's always some wind, and and the farmer could just put it off. Not that anybody did, but but if they always put it off, you, you would have no crop. And if you did get the the, the crop planted, sown, then. What if, what if you like? Oh, I can't harvest today. It's, it's, it could rain today, you know. And it's, a, it's a sense of, of of procrastination or or wanting to be sure. And said, so you can't always be sure. So if you put off the the, the 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 generous life of how God wants you to serve or give or or or, or pray or or if you're going to put off all these different ministries, you might never start because, you know, you haven't covered all your other fears and and you have all these other priorities. Whoever gives his life will lose it. Whoever Lose his life for me will find it, Jesus said. What we miss out on? We miss out on the, on the spiritual harvest because that is the goal. And that's what's so different from like prosperity, thinking, what can I get? That isn't the goal at all. Jesus was walking through a field, I think, with, with the disciples when he said this. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields they are ripe for harvest even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together it's all about accomplishing on earth the eternal purposes of god of drawing people to himself there's an eternity ahead this earth is just here to here he says we are we are about eternal things so whatever your part is sowing, reaping it's because you know and understand eternal life we are privileged as a church to understand the gospel I I think clearly if you're a believer in Christ and you know that your sins are forgiven because of the cross you know what the world desperately, desperately needs you probably know someone who is ripe for the gospel whether you know it or not and so We need to sow. Someone else maybe planted the seeds. Or maybe you're going to be planting seeds. But don't put it off because of this importance of the gospel. Two weeks from now on Palm Sunday, as was announced, we're having a coffee cake fellowship between services. That's kind of incidental, but God can use hopefully that kind of a thing. I would invite you to invite someone on Palm Sunday. I want to talk about the cross. And talk about the cross, why Christ died on the cross and how that can bring us eternal life and it's the only thing that can bring us eternal life. And so I'd invite you to invite someone if, if, if someone wouldn't come with you to maybe invite them to even to, to watch the service and to pray so that God would work and we could be working together for a harvest of eternal life. There are many things that Christians in America are concerned about right now. I'm concerned about them. I pray regularly for the things that are concerning to Christians in America. This is our biggest concern, though. Our top priority is the gospel. It's what God has called us to do. It is why we are in Ozaki County. And may God give us clarity and courage and generosity to give the gospel to people desperately in need it there are people all around us who are dying and going to a Christless eternity of judgment and hell and we have the words of eternal life cast your bread on the waters It's not about money, it's not about time, it's not about reward. It's about the urgent need, the goal of the gospel. And what does God do? We don't know, but it's pretty amazing, verse 5. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Both the wind and the womb are illustrating how God does something miraculous that we don't see. You can't see the wind, and you can't watch the baby grow. Well, kind of with ultrasound you can. But God is at work in unseen ways when we live generously. Solomon's beautiful illustrations uh, of creation, the natural creation, as well as human life, really address two important issues that have become major satanic lies in our society first of all the name god is given in the last line is what who is god he's the maker he is the creator of all things in this universe it did not evolve it didn't just randomly happen the more you think about it the more preposterous that idea is that something came from nothing and became what it is. That somehow this solar system is is, is operating in this perfect 365 and 64 and a fourth day cycle that is so precise and so consistent that if we were any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were any farther, we would freeze to death. And I know sometimes we get close, but... God has taken care of this globe so that there are people on earth and Jesus came to this earth and it's all rooted in the reality that God created. It did not evolve. And that we are not, we are not just accidents. To think that God made a, butter, a caterpillar become a butterfly. Did God chuckle when he thought that one up? I'm going to show them something really interesting. Let them figure this one out. To think of how the whole genetic information is in those seeds that are dormant all, night, all, all, all winter long here in Wisconsin and, and then they become this incredible array of flowers, beautiful just like the year before. To Think how he takes and forms the mountains and, 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 and covers them with snow and then they melt and they become these beautiful streams and they, they get down to where they need to go and make these lush valleys and, and he pours down the rain, this condensation thing, you know, and we have grain in, in the Midwest to, to feed the world. How God did all that and then the miracle of the human body, how a body is formed in a mother's womb. God did that. Only God could do that, come up with that system. God knew you before you were born. You were you before you were born. Which is why the sanctity of human life is so important, why it's so crucial that we protect and do not destroy or abort that which is in God's image. Because we are different than the animal world, because we are made in the image of God, we can have relationship with God, we can communicate with God, we're talking about God, nothing else. There's, there's such a step between animal life and human life that's only possible because there's a creator. And that, that step is what makes us eternal beings and why this whole message of the gospel is so important. And so it's just just implied in here that we, we are dealing with a God who is a God of miracles, a God who is transforming, creating, and doing what we cannot see that is miraculous. So as we think about living generously, he says, it doesn't depend on you. You are the one who has the conversation about the gospel, but you cannot change a heart to believe the gospel. You're the one who can, can decide to write a check or something, but, but you can't turn that into spiritual harvest. You can't make it happen. This whole thing has been like, we, we live generously, and then let's watch what God does, because you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. And so this whole, this whole uh, issue of the creation and the, the creative power of God is what we rely on. God took dust and made Adam and Eve. From the dust of the earth. And so he can take something as, as simple, earthly, and tangible as, as time, talents, treasures, and he can make it into something that is eternal. Only he can do that. So, verse 6 says, Sow your seed in the morning, and in the evening, do not let your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. There are three commands in this. Passage, verse 1, cast, verse 2, give, and now verse 6, wrapping it up, sow. They're all saying the same thing. Live generously. And you don't know, as you sow, where it'll land and what it'll produce. It's like you're given a mystery seed packet. <laughs> and God does something very significant. And so... Your gifts to, to a missionary can become someday souls eternally in heaven that you will meet. And, 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 and your, your, your encouraging note to someone can change their day. In fact, it could talk some people off a ledge and change a life. And your patience with a fourth grader in your home or a fourth grader in a Sunday school class. Become a person who is a courageous disciple maker for Jesus for decades because you don't know the way of God the Maker, and you don't know. So just sow, sow, live generously, and watch what God does because God's in charge of the harvest. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, I planted the seeds, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. That's us. But only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. So God will take care of us. For we are God's, we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. We can't make anything happen. But God produces a harvest. So just to be asking yourself what are you doing now to live generously? What is God prompting you to do in the future? You were saved for a purpose. You have been spiritually gifted. You have been given certain opportunities that might be unique, certain resources and God is guiding you in a process by which he wants to use you for eternal purposes. The world might say it's illogical. It's unreasonable. You're throwing your bread on water. Because our world is consistently giving us this message. Just listen to the advertising or, or the, 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 sub, the subtext of so many uh, pieces of the media. It's about loving yourself. Be good to yourself. Make yourself the, pr- the, the priority. Live for self. Love self. Nah. That's not what the scripture says. Jesus says, whoever gives his life, loses his life for my sake, will find it. And he freely gave to us, prompting us in response to his grace to give to others. And then God fills our life, Solomon says, in an otherwise empty, meaningless world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are... So calculating about how we can get what we want that you, by your Spirit alone, could expose that selfish, consistent train of thought in our hearts. I pray, O Lord, that you would, uh, by your Spirit, help us to see the incredible selflessness that you showed when you so loved the world that you gave your only son, Jesus, on the cross, that whoever believes in him would not perish in hell but have eternal life in heaven. God, you did it all for us. And in response to you, we want to give our lives to serve your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.